really want to give a big thanks to our worship team, Amber, who's leading the singing, and Vern, Steve, a uh, member of his family, our worship leader, a member of his family tested positive last week, and he's got to be missing a couple of weeks. And so they stepped up at the last minute, and I think they've done a great job leading us this morning, and very grateful. It's a weird Thanksgiving, really weird. I mean, I'm only 66, <laughs> but I don't remember any other Thanksgiving where we were asked not to gather with our family and friends. And I do understand, I really do, why this one is different. It's still weird. And I always try to look for something funny. I guess I have that kind of a sense of humor. This is my funny face. But in any case, I found these memes that were pretty good. Look at this one. Thanksgiving 2020. We know you bought a turkey that feeds 12 to 15, right? Police knocking on the door. This one, when you have a... Next one. Can't, can't move it? Oh, there we go. When you, have 11 people at, <laughs> when you have 11 people at your house on Thanksgiving and the cops show up, all right? Now, in Kentucky, this isn't going to work. In Kentucky, I suggest that the dress code be camo, all right? Here we go. Or this, this one's pretty funny. Me coming home with a turkey that serves 25. And this next one's just a joke. Don't get huffy, all right? It's just a joke. It's just funny. Uh, Jesus is like, the governor says five of you guys have to leave. It's pretty funny. You see all the disciples are all, all torn up. Bad news, and it is, is that the number of COVID cases is accelerating, and there are a lot of people getting quite sick. Good news is that most people don't get quite sick, and most people survive. In fact, the survival rate is extremely high. I just punched in the numbers myself on Friday. This is from the Kentucky Department of Public Health. If you're under the age of 50, and you get COVID, you've got a 99.95% chance of surviving, which is good. Even if you're under the age of 80, it's 99.37%, which means we do have to be careful and we do have to protect each other, right? It's a loving thing to do. It also means that we should not be driven by fear. And I know that a lot of people aren't afraid, they just want to love on each other, and that's a good thing. It's a good, good thing. But I fear that a whole lot of people are driven by fear. I've seen it. Jesus said one time, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but can't kill the soul. Do be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I think that includes COVID. Listen, guys, I care a lot. I care deeply about the physical health of our church family and about the physical health of the people that we're trying to lead to Jesus. I am even more passionately concerned, passionately more concerned about the spiritual health of our church family and the spiritual health of the people we're trying to reach for Jesus. And this pandemic is not just threatening the physical health of our people. It's threatening the spiritual health of our people too. It doesn't have to, but it is. We're going to get back to that. Guys, we're nearing the end of a little tiny series that we're calling Big Church. Not because Capital City is a big church, but because the church is a big deal to God. The church was his idea, a movement, a plan. A Jesus followers banded together to point people towards Jesus 
because we really believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father, no one goes to heaven without going through him. Do you believe that? So we're committed to keeping each other pointed towards Jesus and dragging as many people along with us as we can. Now, truth is, how the church survived during the first centuries is, is a miracle. And how did this peasant from the backwaters of the Roman Empire become the single most influential person in all of human history? Bar none. And how did his peasant, his peasant followers survive in an incredibly hostile world? It wasn't because they were so smart, powerful, or resourced. It wasn't because of any kind of sophisticated strategies. For the most part, they were very simple men. What they did have was a weird and overwhelmingly powerful message. This guy, Jesus, actually predicted his own death and his resurrection, and he pulled it off. We killed him. God raised him. We saw him. He really is the Son of God, and he loves you, and he wants you. And this early church just exploded like an airborne virus. You see, the church survived in a hostile world. It won, and that's a miracle. It's an act of God. But the movement, the cause, the church began to fossilize into an institution, into a building. And how the movement, the cause, survived what we Jesus followers did to the church is even more miraculous. You see, guys, there has always, from the first, there's always been a propensity to drift, a tendency to drift. And not just the church. Every Jesus follower, all of us, have a propensity, a tendency to wander, to leave the God we love. We can see that tendency, that propensity to drift, even in the earliest stories of the church that we find in our history book of the early church, the book of Acts, written by a guy named Luke. And almost from the first, these Jesus followers began to drift. They were tempted to lose their focus and drift. A couple of reasons. One is that almost every Jesus follower brings baggage with them into the church. And sometimes the baggage we bring causes us to lose focus. It's a drift. And here's the other one, guys. Sometimes our love just grows cold. Sometimes the fire just starts to ebb. Grows cold. So we're going to jump in and see where this drift started. This guy started out named Saul. We know him as Paul, the Apostle Paul. He started out hating Jesus. He started out hating Jesus' followers. In fact, the first time he appears in the book of Acts was at the murder of Stephen, one of the Christians. Saul was one of the witnesses at his murder, and he agreed completely with the killing of this Stephen. And after that, Luke says, Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He hated us. He went from house to house, dragging out men and women to throw us into prison. And yet, even though Paul started out hating Jesus and Jesus' followers, he ended up being maybe the most passionate Jesus follower of the early church. That counter with the risen Jesus can do that to a man, still does. And this Saul, this Paul, starts planting these churches all over the Roman Empire. And one of the things about these churches that Paul was planting in the Gentile world is that they started filling up with Gentiles, guys who were not Jews. And even though Paul was a good Jew and the apostles were all Jews, Paul didn't go around making these Gentiles learn the Jewish laws or eat the Jewish foods or follow the Jewish rituals. He said it's just about Jesus. That's it. Because Paul believed 
we believe that there is this universal hunger for God, universal, that can only be sated by Jesus. And I don't care who you are, you need grace. None of us can even live up to our own standards, much less God's standards. We need grace. And Paul is out there telling people, you're going to find that grace in Jesus. He actually died in your place so you can have peace with God. What if he's right? <laughs> what if God really does offer that kind of grace and he offers a better life in this world and an infinitely better life in the next? What if that's true? Wouldn't you want to know? Wouldn't you want them to know? Paul is out there planting churches all over this Gentile world and the Jews back home in Jerusalem are getting more and more uncomfortable. Yeah, I guess we do want these Gentiles to be Jesus followers, but they still need Moses, don't they? They still need the Ten Commandments. They still need the law before we let them in. Don't they have to give up bacon before we let them in? Really? Shouldn't they clean themselves up before we let them sit by us in church? See, back then, to so many of the Jews, doing life with God was about the rules. Still is for a lot of Jesus followers. And they brought that baggage with them into the church. And it wasn't just about following Ten Commandments. The Jewish teachers actually counted 613 rules in the Old Testament. 248 rules to do, 365 rules not to do. Do's and don'ts. And doing life with God was about memorizing the rules and doing the do's and don'ting the don'ts. A lot of those Jews became Jesus followers, and they carried this right along with them into the church. They figured Jesus was just an add-on to their Judaism. It was still about memorizing the rules, doing the do's, don'ting the don'ts, plus Jesus now. And Paul is out there telling these Gentiles, just Jesus. Just love him with everything you've got love each other. Jesus followers back home are saying, slow down, Paul. Right? We want these people to follow Jesus too, but you're making it too easy. I mean, there are things you have to do. There are things that you have to not do. There are hoops that you have to jump through to become one of us, right? Guys, people are still bringing this kind of baggage into the church. How many people in this room, how many people have you known that are Jesus followers who still think it's about the do's and the don'ts? It's about learning the rules and following the rules. How many people have been driven away from the church because all they hear here is about the rules? Not God's rules, our rules. Sometimes what they hear is we want you here, but you've got to learn our rules before you wel you're welcome with us. I wonder how many people actually don't think they're welcome here at Capital City because they've broken too many of our rules. And we constantly drift from grace to rules. Rules are easy, grace is hard. But this became such a huge issue in the early church that they had their first congregational meeting, their first church conference to sort things out. Now, I've been to a lot of congregational meetings, and some of them get really mean and hard, right? But sometimes they're necessary anyway. This one was hard, and it was necessary. I am grateful for the outcome. And here's what it was all about. What do we do about Paul and all of his churches? What do we do about these Gentile Jesus followers who aren't following the rules of Moses? Acts chapter 15, starting with verse 1. 
Well, Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas was kind of his preaching partner. They were doing their missionary work together. Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, which is kind of their sending church up north of Jerusalem. Some men from Judea arrived at Antioch and began to teach the believers, unless you're circumcised as required by the law, you can't be a Christian. You can't be saved. And some of the Gentile Jesus followers are like, hold on. No one said anything about surgery before becoming a Jesus follower, especially down there, right? And all of a sudden, all of the guys started dropping out of their getting started class. Luke is the guy who wrote Acts. Luke says Paul and Barnabas disagreed vehemently, got heated. And finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some of their local believers, to talk to the apostles and to the elders about this situation. This is a big deal in the early church, a big crisis in the early church. You see, at first, these Jewish Christians weren't sure the Gentiles ought to be in at all. And now they're like, okay, they're welcome, but they have to follow our rules. And Paul is out there saying it's not about those rules anymore. They don't have to look like us. They don't have to do the things we do, live like us. They don't have to, look, to think like us to be one of us. It's just about Jesus. But, Luke says, some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees, they became Christians too, many of them. They stood up and insisted these Gentile converts must be circumcised. They must be required to follow the law of Moses. You understand, these Pharisee Christians were serious, extremely serious about the rules, the law. 613 laws. They tried to memorize every single one. They tried to do all of the do's and don't all of the don'ts. Their life with God had revolved their whole life around knowing the rules and following the rules down to the tiniest details. And they brought all that baggage with them into the church. Like we all tend to do. We all tend to drag this baggage into the church. The things we think, the things we like, the things we do, we tend to think that unless you like what we like and do what we do and think like we think, it, you probably shouldn't be one of us. We just assume that God agrees with us, even when he doesn't. And these Pharisees have brought in all of this baggage. Yeah, we want the Gentiles, but they need to eat the stuff we eat. They need to dress the way we do. They need to live like we do to fit into our church. You say that with a grin on your face. I wonder if that sounds familiar to some of you guys. Apostle Peter is one of the big dogs of the early church, along with James, the brother of Jesus. And Luke tells us that after a long discussion, Peter stands up and he says, Brothers, you know God chose me from among you to preach to the Gentiles too. It's not just Paul. I was there, remember? We talked about it last week here at Cap City. He used me to preach so they could hear the good news and believe. Paul's not the first guy to preach to these Gentiles. I've done the same. God prompted me. And like we said last week, if God wants him in, don't you dare push him out. If God wants someone in, don't we dare push him out. And Peter says, God knows their hearts. He knows your hearts. He knows my heart. He knows their hearts. And God is the one who accepted him. He's the one who gave him his Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He makes no distinction between them and us. So we shouldn't either. In other words, Peter says, I know they dress differently, they eat differently, they think differently in so many ways, but God sees us as pretty much the same. We need grace, they need grace. 
All of us taste grace through faith in Jesus. What he says next, this is tough. Paul says, so now why are you challenging God? Why are you challenging God? Burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that we haven't been able to bear, and they certainly won't be able to either. We're all saved exactly the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe this? Right here. Now, a few verses later, it's James's turn. James is the other kind of big dog in the early church. This is James. He was actually the physical brother of Jesus. We've said this before, but again, what would it take for you to convince your brother that you're the son of God? Well, here's a hint. Try coming back from the dead. Work with James, with Jesus. James, his brother, spent the rest of his life serving Jesus, his brother, as his Lord and his God, even died for him. James wraps up this council with this, and it's huge. He says, my judgment, my judgment is that we should not make it difficult. Don't make it hard. Don't make it tough for anybody who's trying to turn to God. Don't make it hard for people to come to Jesus. You can require what he requires, but don't add anything to his requirements. Do what he wants us to do, but don't add to it. This is his church. If he wants them in, we do too. If he wants them in, even though they look different, think different, like different things than we do, we want them to. Instead, James says, write and tell these Gentile followers that they should abstain from eating food offered to idols, okay, from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. That's it. About 613 rules we've been never never been able to master, just tell them, be considerate of each other. Don't do those things that are going to make it really hard for your Jewish brothers and sisters to do life with you. And make sure Jesus is the Lord of your sex life too. That's it. Jesus will take care of the rest. And because of this congregational meeting, guys, we're here today. Because of this congregational meeting, if you're a guy, you didn't have to have surgery to become a Jesus follower. We just baptized you, right? And you don't have to look the same, and you don't have to think the same, and you don't have to like the same things to be one in Christ. Because of this congregational meeting 2,000 years ago, I said this last week, we welcome here at Capital City those who are single and married and divorced, gay, Filthy rich, black and proud, ino habla inglés. We welcome those who are newborns, poor as dirt, skinny as a rail. We welcome you here if you're just browsing, just woke up, or just got out of jail. We don't care if you're more Catholic than the Pope, or if you've never been to church since your baby's dedication. We welcome those who could lose a few pounds, who think the earth is flat, who work too hard, who can't spell, or who came to church because grandma's in town and wanted to go to church. We welcome those who could use a prayer right now. Three times divorced, had religions shoved down your throat as a kid, or simply got lost in traffic and wound up here run a stake. We welcome those who are in recovery and those who are still addicted. We welcome tourists, seekers, doubters, bleeding hearts. We welcome you. Welcome home. And... 
We welcome Republicans and Democrats and those who despise them both. We welcome pro-masks and anti-masks, pro-lockdowns and anti-lockdowns. We welcome those who are struggling with a plethora of sexual issues. We welcome those who have an arsenal in their basement and those who think they're crazy. We welcome those who want stronger borders and those who think illegal is a dirty word. We welcome black lives matter, blue lives matter, all lives matter. We welcome those who are obsessed with recycling and conserving and those who don't give a rip. In fact, they're in the room right now, sitting next to you. You used to shake their hands, you used to give them a hug. Maybe a fist bump now, tap of the foot. You sing with them, honoring our God. You share the Lord's table with them. Isn't that weird? Church has always been weird that way, and we love it that way. Because we love him more than anything else. And our allegiance to him outweighs our differences in anything else. And we're going to do our best to love on each other problem is we still have this propensity to drift this tendency to drift the problem is every Jesus follower still brings baggage into his life with God and sometimes that baggage causes him to lose focus on God makes him drift sometimes it has nothing to do with baggage sometimes it's just because your hearts grow cold you lose your love for God and you lose your love for each other the fire starts to fade and we drift we lose our focus on God, we lose our focus on our mission from God, and we start dr drifting back to what we think, what we like, what we want. Sometimes we drift the same way these first Jesus followers drifted. There are a whole lot of Jesus followers who have drifted from grace back into law, to rules. If you want to be one of us, you've got to live by our rules. If you want to do life with us, you've got to clean up your life first so that you look like one of us, then you're welcome here. Not here. We're going to fight that drift here at Capital City. We want you here whether you look like us, whether you think like us, whether you act like us or not. Because he wants you here. So we're going to do our best to love on you and we're going to trust Jesus to be the one who changes you into what he wants you to be. He's good at that. And we're going to battle other drifts too. Every single church, including Capital City Christian Church, begins to drift from focusing on outsiders, our mission, to focusing on insiders. We stop focusing on them, we start focusing on ourselves. And that's understandable. It really is. And you guys are here. You guys are here in person or connecting with us online. You're the ones who know the songs. You're the ones who pay the bills. You're the one who select the leaders. You're the one who make the complaints if there's something you don't like. You're the ones who serve and volunteer. You are Capital City. Hmm. And yet our mission is to reach outsiders as best we can. Drag as many of them to heaven with us as we can. Our mission is to stay outwardly focused even as we love on each other. So we're going to fight that drift here at Capital City so we can keep that outward focus as best we can. And there's another drift. And this one's terrifying me. It's not new. It's just got a new piece to it right here, right now. And it has to do with this pandemic. Listen, guys. 
I understand that you do not have to do in-person church to have a healthy life with God. You don't. But every Jesus follower, whether here or watching online, to be a healthy Jesus follower still requires worshiping together, connecting with each other, growing constantly in your faith in Christ, and serving your God as a body of Christ. Still required. You don't have to be here in person to be worshiping together and connecting with each other and growing in Christ and serving God together. But it's harder, way harder when we don't assemble. It takes more work to stay healthy when we don't assemble because it takes more personal responsibility. Now, I know there's always been a tendency. There's always been a propensity to marginalize church. Always. Sometimes because church starts to feel like the same old week after week after week, listening to some guy drone on for 30 minutes, singing, singing the same old songs. It just gets old. So it gets less and less important to us sometimes. Sometimes start drifting because churches are messy. Every church is messy because Jesus' followers are messy. You can't do life with somebody for long without them stepping on your toes. And when you get your toes stepped on at church, you start to push the church away. And sometimes it's just that other things start becoming more important than church whether it's your need for sleep or need for recreation or whatever. But guys, it's not just about church. We've battled this propensity, this tendency to drift away from God for a long time. The church is just a symptom. Instead of 24-7, we start giving him fewer hours each week. Instead of giving him the first part of our money, our time, and our service, we start giving God leftovers if there are any. And before long, they can see no difference between them and us, the way we talk, the way we spend our money, what we watch on TV, or anything else. Apostle John one time warned a church about losing their love, letting our passion for God and our passion for each other grow cold. He warned us about letting God slip from first place in our life to second or third or fourth place. And I want to fight that drift, guys. The drift has always been there. The tendency has always been there, but it's gotten worse. And I know you don't have to do in-person church to have a healthy, vibrant life with God. But it's harder when you try to do it all online. You still have to worship really worship, not just watch it. You have to connect with other Jesus followers because we weren't made to do this thing alone. You've got to genuinely keep growing because if you're not growing, you're fading. And you've got to serve. And I know that during this pandemic, a whole lot of our church family and a lot of Christians everywhere have chosen to stay away from in-person church. And for many of you, that has been a wise choice. It's the right thing to do. But I fear, I've seen, that as some of our brothers and sisters have disconnected from in-person church, they've also been disconnecting from God and disconnecting from each other. 
And that's a problem. Serious. Guys, I care deeply about your physical health. I care even more deeply about your spiritual health because that's what matters forever. We're going to die, every one of us. What matters most is what happens next. And I think Satan is using this pandemic as a tool to quell the passion of so many Jesus followers. Don't let him win. Got to be honest, guys. I've got to be honest. We've all got to be ruthlessly honest. This is too important. Do you love him first? See the most important thing in your life. Does your life revolve around him? And are you trying to love each other as much as you love yourselves? Those are the big two. And that requires worshiping him together and connecting with each other and growing in our faith and serving. And if you can't do those things right now, does it break your heart? Because if it's not breaking your heart, you're getting to a very dangerous place. Are you giving him first place in everything? Guys, we're Jesus followers. He's first to us. If you're not a Jesus follower yet, you can get it done. We think that's where life starts, in this world and in the next. Pretty easy. You bend your knees and you call him your Lord and your Master. He deserves that. He deserves it. And it may be that you are a Jesus follower, but you've just been drifting. You need a family. You need a church family. We're not made to do this thing alone. If you want to take about, talk about making Jesus the Lord of your life, you want to talk about maybe Capital City is your church family. I'd love to talk to you. I'm going to be hanging right down there. During this next song, I'm going to hang down there or right up here after the service is over, and I'd love to chat. I'd love to pray with you. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Father, for Jesus, we give you thanks for the hope and the peace that we have in him. We give you thanks for allowing our own passions for you and our love for you to drift. We ask your forgiveness. We ask that you stir that fire in us again. We love you dearly. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship together.